0: Namaste and welcome. This is Jainil Dalal and you are listening to The Design MBA. This podcast is a real-life MBA program for designers where we interview design hustlers and learn the skills, mindset necessary for a designer to launch a business venture. You can learn more. Find past episodes and stay updated at designmba.show. Why are you listening to this podcast? Think about it deep down you want to grow in your design career. And I've been in your shoes. I've pushed pixels for years without really knowing how the hell do I grow in my design career. So I've created a free email course for you to help you level up your design career. The strategies I share in this 7-day email course are actionable and used by over 700 plus designers with success. So head over to levelup.designmba.show or you can find the link to this email course in the show notes. Level up your design career today. It's going to take you the same amount of time and effort to market a $29 product as it will a $2,900 product. My guest today is Matt D. Smith, aka MDS. Matt is the owner and design director at Studio MDS, A small independent design studio in athens georgia he created the float label pattern for digital input fields the contrast app for checking color contrast ratios and flow kit for creating user flows inside your favorite design tool he's a proud father of four if you are a designer that is looking to up your visual design game ui game in general you seriously need to go and check out matt's new course shift nudge I promise you, from what I've seen from it, I highly recommend it. Go to shiftnudge.com and check it out. And yeah, tell him that Janiel sent you. In this episode, we discuss the growth mindset. How do you overcome self-doubt and imposter syndrome as a designer? Why you should be selective about picking your design projects. Hint, pick projects that pay money. And Matt's journey from designing to launching the Shift Nudge course. Enjoy. MDS, welcome on the show, man. Super excited to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. Dude, like you are such an inspiration for me. Uh, I remember the first time I, you know, I heard about you. I went to your website and it's like a lot of people are designers, but you take it to the extreme. Like even in your website, you got like math.is, if I'm not mistaken then slash writing, slash working. And it was just so intuitive. I even went to your book list and found a bunch of your books really helpful. Nice.
1: Yeah, I've just, I've always, ever since I was a kid, just been really analytical about the details of everything I was working on. I don't know where that came from.
0: Wow. And the recent thing that I noticed is that you're ripped, like, you know, from who you were before. So did you always want to be ripped in high school or college or was it like a recent thing? Well,
1: what's funny is, so like, I was always really small in high school. I was probably like 5'3 when I graduated high school. I was a late bloomer. And then I'm like six feet tall now, but no way in high school, I was actually very, very Skinny. I'm, I'm not skinny. I like. I was muscularly built, but I was really small. And like, I was on the football team, and we had like weight training regimen. So like, in high school and college, I was always doing athletics, and I was always in shape, and I was always, you know, feeling okay about myself with my shirt off. Uh, and then I <laughs> guess, I guess, whenever you know, my wife and I got married when I was 22, almost 23, and then we had uh, our first kid, like. Within the next two years, we had our first kid. And and at that point, I was just working tirelessly and just not even working out or staying in shape wasn't even on my radar. We were just trying to survive both financially yeah. and with, as new parents. And so I think once my first kid was like two years old or so, this is like back in 2009, 2010, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, I have really let myself go in the last 10 years. I graduated high school in 2000, so it just wasn't on my radar. I wasn't paying attention to it. And I just committed, I think, mm-hmm. in 2010 or so. I was just like, I'm not going to drink any more soda. I'm going <laughs> to buy all the P90X DVDs. And it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of was on this quest to get back into shape and to get, you know, to be strong. I want to be able to do things with my kids. I want to be able to jump on the trampoline. I want to be yeah. able to, you know, do all the things with them.
0: So, yeah, <laughs> so it's basically been what is it now, two thousand ten you got the book, so it's been ten years in the making, yeah, absolutely. none of those like six month
1: fat diets <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's definitely I mean, you know a lot of different trial and error just trying to figure out I think the biggest thing is figuring out nutrition and figuring out how to eat and whatnot, but yeah, and finding things that you actually enjoy doing at least somewhat I mean, there's plenty of days where I don't feel like doing anything, but it's just kind of how it goes.
0: There is one photo that you had put on Instagram and I found that to be really inspirational. You had a photo on the left side of when you were not in shape, as you mentioned, and then on the right where you're ripped. And one of the comments you mentioned, the guy on the left who's not fit, the previous man, worked his ass off so that the man on the right could really enjoy it. That was so deep, man.
1: It's weird seeing yourself in pictures like that. you know. Because I can remember like it was yesterday, I can remember the things that I was concerned about. I can remember... How I felt, the things that stressed me out at the time. And it was like at that time, I was working these like long but not great contracts with other companies, like, you know, barely, not really barely getting by. My wife and I were both working, but I just had so many aspirations to do more. And so I'm doing this freelance work at midnight until 3 a.m. And then I'm getting out and the kids are crying. And I was, you know, doing all I could to just get you know, get our future going into the direction that we wanted. And my taking care of myself physically was just not even wasn't even on the back burner. It just wasn't there. And so it's really interesting to know now, like, I guess through the years, you inevitably get better mm-hmm. at managing your time and prioritizing things. So but yeah, it is it is definitely kind of a, a wild thing to do to, to look back at whether it's a picture before and after or even like reading blog posts, recaps of the years and like, oh, man, I remember that so vividly. You know, you yeah, remember you do
0: the recaps. Yeah. You, you remember being like
1: so stressed out about certain things in certain years. And then if you read that a few years later, you already know how that, that all unfolds. And you're like, oh, I should have known that, that it would have been okay or, you know, whatever.
0: I really like when you mentioned that you always had these aspirations. Was that because you had a family and you're married and you have kids or that was your upbringing or how did that come about? that drive? I think it's definitely primarily just part
1: of my personality like I said, even as a young kid, I remember I would see someone do a backflip. And I'm like, I've got to learn how to do a backflip. I must do this. Like, <laughs> if that guy can do it, I need to learn how to do it and do it. do it as well. And so that just kind of became, I don't know if it was nature versus nurture, but I also remember this very profound moment when I was, I think I was like 15 years old, and my dad had this old, like 20-year-old Mazda RX seven that he used to drive. And mm-hmm. he was going to let me drive that when I was 16. And it was kind of beat up and the uh, speakers were dry rotted. There was no CD player. And my dad used to teach electronics in the army. So he was pretty savvy with like mm-hmm. reinstalling CD players and whatnot. And I, I just could not fathom how someone could possibly take a radio out of a car and rewire new speakers and install everything and... He was like, just felt so nonchalant about like, oh yeah, we'll just get the CD player. We'll get the mounting kit. We'll get these speakers. And I'm just sitting there staring in disbelief that he's about to rip this dashboard out of the car. And I'm like, you can't just rip the dashboard out. Like like, that's just, that's supposed to be there. And he's like, he looked at me like, uh, and he was just like, what do you mean? Somebody put this in here. We can take it out and then we can put it back in. And for some reason that just clicked as this like, echoed like deeply into my soul i'm like oh my gosh like someone did that and we can do it too we can take it out like it didn't just happen automatically and so i don't know just that moment it was almost like this unlocking of this quest for confidence and like you know if you've seen someone do something that it doesn't necessarily mean that 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 can only be done by them i mean i don't plan on you know Going and starting another SpaceX or anything. I don't, you know, there's definitely limits to the things I want to try to do or the things that I believe are possible. But I don't know. I think that's just kind
0: of a pretty paramount kind of moment for me. It's interesting your dad decided to fix the speaker himself because sometimes my thing is more like, let's maybe let me just hire the guy to do yeah. it.
1: Yeah. That was, you know, he was, my dad was always that way. He would take apart the carburetor and clean it out on the lawnmower or the, ATV or whatever it was and he's you know the kind of guy that would read the instruction book from front to back before starting on anything and just always had that kind of tinkerer builder mentality he built like kit airplanes kit cars and i think it just growing up around that maybe just gave me the passion to build things as well and and to just tinker with things you know sometimes purely out of curiosity and you end up creating something because you were just curious about it
0: i am going to take a leap of faith and I think somehow that mentality has made you a company of one. Because I'm noticing you're doing everything yourself. Like You're shooting the courses yourself. And even a step further, in some of your videos, you have made about 2019 in a year in review and for 2020. But uh, you kind of tried to redesign your home yourself. You built your studio yourself. So why not just hire a guy? Like, like What made you spend so much time doing it yourself?
1: Yeah. So... I think this is both a strength and a weakness of mine because I'm not afraid to, you know, if there's a project or if there's a group of people and like efficiency is kind of like built into my DNA, I want things to be efficient. I want things to be successful by, you know, whatever metric that needs to be measured by, whether it's my own or by the group I'm working with. And so I will, I don't have any problem. You know, digging a hole for eight hours—if that really needs to happen around my house, you know—so I, I, it's easy to go into like that, just yeah. laser focus, work, 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 work. And so, I think in a lot of ways, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to learn video editing. Okay, yeah. I know a little bit about construction and woodworking, so I might as well just build this. Because a lot of times, there's plenty of things that we hired out. You know, like I didn't do any of the construction necessarily on the house when we were remodeling it, but mm-hmm. we had, you know, framers come in and we had. But I feel like in order to get an incredibly quality product, whether it's software or a home renovation, I feel like the secret sauce is like the glue in between those pieces that come together. And so like if the framer isn't talking to the plumber, you know, they're going to run the pipes in the wrong way. And there's inevitably you've been in a house where you're like, why did they put the switch right here? But it's because no one actually sat down and thought about where it needed to go or the electrician was there. And the drywall guy I didn't talk to the electrician. And so I wanted to be like the glue that kind of made everything kind of work together with with our home remodel. And, and then I also, you know, I think the best pieces of software that I've ever worked on or teams that I've ever worked with, it's when there was, you know, a really strong overlap between disciplines, whether it was design and development from the very beginning, or if there was a lot of focus, it's never like 100% design complete and then go build it you can build things that way, but it's not going to work out that well.
0: And how do you figure out like when to like really outsource, meaning get people to do it. And when do you like completely go in
1: to that? I think it depends on what we're talking about. You know, if, if it's a design project, then I'm more likely going to be, you know, wanting to do that versus if I need somebody to do some drywall, like I've done that before and I realized that I hate it. So I just want to hire somebody to do that for me because it's messy and I or when I do it, it's messy and professionals can do a much better job.
0: You know, it, take video and, courses, for example, take yeah. your video courses you're producing. Why not get an editor to edit your videos and stuff?
1: Yeah. So I guess, first of all, definitely budget is definitely a real thing. The way that I produce the video courses, a lot of times there's an outline and then I will, you know, sometimes I'll have a script for the intro, but sometimes I just kind of, I'll need to break out and ad lib something or I'm if I'm recording mm-hmm. my screen. Yeah. I feel like it's not a tight enough script for someone else to know what to keep or what to get rid of. Because I get rid of a lot of stuff. And I haven't done enough preparation up front to say, okay, here's everything. Go edit it for me. You know, I'm not sure. Do you have anyone editing this podcast for you? Or do you edit
0: this currently by yourself? I, I was about to say the same thing. So I am literally producing, editing everything myself. And one of my mentors you know told me that hey you need to get somebody to do it for you and the guy like is pretty like reasonable he charges 8 bucks an hour so maybe one episode will cost me 24 bucks but the thing is when i edited myself i hear myself again i learn what i am asking wrong or how i can frame the questions better and at one point i kind of felt like if i'm going to have to tell the guy what to do and what to edit i think it's right. going to be more faster if i just learn how to do it myself
1: yeah i agree i think long term i would love to be able to say all right, here you go. Here's all the footage. You know, go do your thing. I've done a handful of courses, but I'm constantly changing the way I do it, changing the structure. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, I'm about 90% done with this thing now. And there's still things on like, Oh, and the next one, this is what I'm going to do because I learned so much doing this one. Yeah. And I don't feel good enough about the sequence of events that needs to happen and say like, like you said, I would spend more time explaining what needs to happen or, you know, I don't want to watch a 20 minute Video of myself that someone else edited, and then I need to say, "Okay, edit this part out, edit this part out, edit this part out." (laughs) Oh my god, so true. It's already painful enough to you know. I've, I've basically been listening to and watching myself record things for the last year, and it's I'm really ready to be done with this for for just a little bit.
0: So, how did you get the course bug, like to create all these video courses on design education?
1: I think the very first. Bug that I ever got was when Sean McCabe. Do you know Sean McCabe? He's got a podcast. He used to be like big in the hand lettering world. And this was probably back in 2013, maybe 2012. He released a hand lettering course and it was like how to hand letter, you know, as your job, you know, earn a full time Mm -hmm. living doing hand lettering. And then he had like a very large amount of people that downloaded this like free guide, like how to get started. And I think he had a, a big email list. And then he sold this course for like, I think it was like three or 400 bucks. I think at the time when he launched it, mm-hmm. it might've even been like close to 500. And then he he wrote a blog post and he openly like kind of shared the sales revenue numbers for like a day or two. And he was like, in one day I made $90,000. And I was like, no freaking are you way? kidding me? I was like, are you? And so I'm kind of looking. But then you think about it like, if you take a hundred thousand and you divide it by 500, that's like what 200 people. If 200 people buy something for a thousand dollars, then that's a hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah, I think the mathematics on that, I was just like, I need to start doing courses. (laughs) (laughs) And also, that was one of the first like kind of aha moments where, like, oh, wow, this is actually a thing. And If you think about the price of like higher education, you know, it's usually not even in the ballpark of $500. Usually it's like $50,000. You know, I got to go to university and I have to be in debt for, you know, (laughs) until I'm 50. And so I think there's a good, a sweet spot in the education world where you can produce really quality education at an absolute fraction of the price that makes it inaccessible to a lot of other people but it also be very profitable for you. And it, you know, it makes it where you're able to do that and put a lot of, cause the, the more profitable it is, the better value you can produce and the more you can put into it to make it really, really good. And I've also really always enjoyed teaching people how to do things, whether, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, like trying to teach my friend how to do a backflip off the diving board, <laughs> or you got to tuck your knees to your chest and yeah. like, really you know, and even in like in design school, I used to love to be able to like the guy or girl I'm sitting beside in design class. And I'm like, Oh, if you, you know, if you do the lasso and Photoshop this way, you can remove the whatever, you know, and I just always kind of found it rewarding to be able to share knowledge and to teach. And it's not a chore for me. I enjoy teaching people things and it feels very natural. And so just combining design and teaching and designing and coding and video editing, like all of those things kind of coming together just kind of feels like the perfect storm of creativity and value that I can put together as one package. You're
0: spot on about the metrics of it, meaning it seems like from the outside, if somebody says I make $90,000 from you know, this course and you're like, how does that happen? But like you said, when you look at the math, it's not that hard, like getting 200 people. I mean, it's hard, but... Yeah, I'm a
1: big fan of Ramit Sethi. And he's got a saying that he always, whether it's in his course or maybe on a podcast or something, he always talks about, it's not magic, it's math. And Ah. you think about the spam calls or the spam emails Mm -hmm. that you get, It's you're like, who is putting this much work into spam? Yeah. But... There's nothing magic about what they're doing there. This is probably a bad example because I don't condone spam calling or emailing, (laughs) but they are being successful with it just based on pure mathematics. If they send, you know, 500,000 emails, if they get, you know, that small fraction of people that click or give their credit card number or they give their password and they lose access to their account, it's worth it for them just based on pure mathematics. And so I think understanding that there is a A mathematical threshold for earning income. It's pretty interesting. Not a lot of people have seen some stuff I did back in like 2007 or so. I was working on this real estate application Mm -hmm. and I convinced a friend to put it together. I mean, we worked on this thing for a year, maybe kind of on the side, and we launched it to crickets. You know, we spent all of our time building and developing and maybe had five people sign up because we tried to sponsor this. And I'm like, okay, I actually wasn't thinking about how this is going to earn any money. I thought people would just magically show up once we have the software available. That was one of the first big side projects that I ever tried to launch and do. And once we launched that, and after about three months, the bitter truth started to show up like, wow, we did this backwards. I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) And you think about like all the time and energy that it's been to put into designing and developing an iOS app to fight to sell it for 99 cents in the app store. (laughs) Whereas you can spend a weekend building a WordPress plugin and sell it for a hundred bucks, you know, if it's a premium thing and it's it's just kind of interesting the perceived value that someone has over a WordPress plugin to help their business is much, much higher than the perceived value that I'm gonna get for spending 99 cents on this random iPhone app. Even though the app is gonna take, you know, an order of magnitude more Mm -hmm. to produce and develop and to maintain. So I kind of, you know, that also is very appealing with with the online course stuff too, because it's, I've been in the kind of design consulting world for so long where it's always trading time for money, time for money, time for money over and over and over. And I have done projects where it's more flat rate or project rate or value yeah. based. And those are still great, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is still at the end of the day, time for money, whether or not you're making $5 an hour or $500 an hour still trading time for money. And so I wanted to be able to figure out a way to break out of that a little bit more and still be as without taking a hit to income, you know, because yeah. I've got a family of four. My wife has chosen to stay at home with the kids, which I love. She used to mm-hmm. work full time. She made the decision to do that when our oldest kid was about 10 years ago. And now yeah. our youngest, our oldest is 12 and our youngest is six. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on me as the sole income earner. Like I can't mess around and not make money, you know what I mean? Damn. And so I have to be very, very picky or strategic Mm -hmm. or smart or wise, whatever you wanna call it, about what I'm working on and whether or not that is producing what needs to be produced. For a while I was doing a bunch of like YouTube vlogs and everything, and I was trying to actually get better at video editing and get better Mm -hmm. at storytelling so I could incorporate that into some courses in the future. But I just got too focused on making these YouTube vlogs and had these, you know, I'm a vlogger now and whoo, yeah. fun. That's will come in at some point. <laughs> and then it's like, man, I'm spending like four hours every day editing these videos and and wow. this is not producing any. Which I think there is some intrinsic value in making a video and putting it on the internet. Yeah. But I have to be mindful about what can I get in a short-term reward yeah, and what am I choosing to wisely invest in now that will produce you know, a long-term reward later. So it's just a matter of, for me, just trying to really focus on... I've been approached by different startups yeah. or different... I bet. <laughs> people as startups where they're maybe they're like, Oh yeah, we've got this equity plan if you want to. And I'm like, no. Nope. Yeah. I'm not interested. <laughs> like, never. I've never been interested in an equity plan because I I need cash to survive. Like I need you to put your money in my bank account. Yeah. So did we can. Did you miss out on any more. of
0: the unicorns in that? Like, no. Maybe not at all. No. <laughs> okay. No,
1: and I think I've been kind of in an interesting spot because I mean I've worked for some startups that are based in either New York or San Francisco, but I'm in yeah. Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, in this town called Athens, and you know I will get referred to these random companies in Atlanta that no one's ever heard of, but they do have good budget. They do have, you know, interesting problems that they are trying to solve. And so I've worked on a lot of things that no one's ever heard of, but they've, they're working in a specific sector, like transportation logistics management. And I'm like, okay, that sounds kind of fun. I think that, you know, there was no like Y Combinator or, you know, I think if I would have been in San Francisco, that might've been a different story. If my wife and I hadn't have started having kids so young and we yeah. moved to the west coast <laughs> or whatever but it's like i'm living a very real life right now with kids and a lot of needs
0: dude i can't even imagine the pressure you have you <laughs> got to put food not just for you but for six people including yourself and like does that phase you out sometimes or yeah you're no, like,
1: absolutely absolutely <laughs> i've definitely had like freak out moments where it's like Oh my gosh, like hyperventilating. you know. I spent too much time on this personal project. I didn't have enough client income. And so there's a whole other topic that you could dive into with like personal finance and budgeting and which I'd be happy to get into. But I do think that that specifically has helped me a lot. And my wife and I kind of like made a commitment back in 2007 or so. We were just gonna get on this like debt payment plan and just get completely Mm -hmm. debt free minus our house and we actually made that happen in wow. 2009 I think or so and then we just got really really strategic about saving you know 3 to 6 months expenses and that alone gives you an incredible amount of yeah. relief and also like bargaining power or negotiation power if yeah. I'm going to take on a new project and I'm completely broke I don't have the luxury of saying, oh, no, 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 my rate (laughs) is this. You know, you'll pay me this, or I'm going to walk away. Or, I mean, I've never been, I'm not rude about stuff like that, but you have walked away. I mean, I've definitely, I've lost tons of projects because I quoted too high, like tons. I think like there was a time period when I was probably losing nine projects for every one that I quoted or for every 10 that I quoted. I went on this path in like 2008, 2010 when I really started freelancing and getting clients where, Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of experimenting with this value ladder where it's like, okay, I wonder what they'll say if I say $75 an hour. I wonder what they'll say if I say $100 an hour on these next projects. And then eventually I'm like, well, what if it's just a flat rate and I don't commit to a certain amount of hours? So I'm always experimenting with different ways to provide value. And you know, as you get better also, you know, the hourly rate starts to kind of break down and you both people kind of get penalized in a way. Like if I'm fast and efficient, I'm penalized. Yeah, if I'm slow. Then the client is penalized, and so yeah, just kind of like as I'm experimenting, I'm more likely to experiment at a greater scale when I know that I can still pay my bills if the client says no.
0: So why not work at a agency or a company and just get a steady paycheck? What's driving you to still do freelance? So
1: I actually, this was the existential question of mine for probably two or three years probably like in the height of I don't know 2010 to 2012 maybe even like 2010 to 2015 even I was constantly should I do this should I do that I would contract at an agency and then their creative director was like hey what, what do you think about you know coming on full time yeah us? and I'm always like oh, I don't know because <laughs> I, I just always had these little side projects and these other things that I wanted to do and yeah funny enough I've actually never had a full time job <laughs> And even when I was first starting out, I had what seemed like a full time job, but I was actually a contractor. Uh You know, I didn't have any benefits or anything. I was getting paid hourly and I had to pay all my own taxes, you know, didn't have any insurance or whatnot. And so I just, I don't know, over the years, I became a little bit more self sufficient and I enjoyed doing a project with a company and then moving on to something else and doing another one. And there were definitely times when I thought about. Working full time, but I just I knew in my heart that I imagined like standing on this hill and like yeah. the flag for the company because <laughs> I want to be like a hundred percent like sold out for whatever I'm doing. Yeah, and I just couldn't imagine myself doing that for any company. Like I might enjoy working with that team or that person, but I couldn't imagine myself being like the head cheerleader for that company. And I want to be like sold out and committed and. Mm -hmm. be that head cheerleader kind of person for whatever I'm working on. And anytime I ever like really push myself to make that decision, I'm like, I just, I have too many things that I want to do personally. But, you know, but again, and I understand that Mm -hmm. kind of like, it is definitely a privilege to be able to make that decision, but it's also on the tail end of years and years and years of freelancing at night and working a Mm -hmm. day, day contract that was absolutely the worst. Like I used to design these catalogs for uh-huh. this chemistry lab supply okay. company, like HPLC column, things <laughs> that you would find in a chemistry lab. Yeah, <laughs> I designed thirty-two page catalogs for that stuff. I had no idea what it was, and the guys like, Where, "Why do you have the HPLC <laughs> columns beside the TPC plates?" <laughs> like, and I don't know what any of this is. I'm just trying. <laughs> I did so many things like that that no one ever has known about, and just grinding, grinding, grinding. And so when I finally had some little snippet of success, and then I could choose to keep doing freelance work or work for a company, I just felt like I owed it to myself to keep pushing beyond Mm i had already come so far. I actually kind of hate the phrase, it's just in my DNA, but I really (laughs) believe that it just feels like it's part of who I am.
0: And to your point, what you mentioned, this guy, Noel Rovikan that I follow, he said that he's an angel investor and he was like, you're never going to get rich if you trade your time for money. So, the idea that you can make a course, which you already are doing and it can earn you passive income, that just blows my mind. Would you ever consider yourself just going full time on just producing these courses if it ever gets to that point? Yeah, oh, 100%. Absolutely. Well, so, you'd yeah. give a freelancing.
1: I'm kind of tired of freelancing right now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and I, I haven't done a client project. Well, I'll take that back. I did a small one for a, a former client a couple months ago, but I did a big, freelance project about a year ago, about a year and a month ago, maybe 13 months. Mm-hmm. And that was big enough to kind of put some runway in front of me so I could really focus on yeah my course. And I did a beta launch of Shift Nudge in December. And to my surprise, was able to like sell out all of the seats that I opened up. And I was planning to do a public launch like either this month or last month, mm-hmm. but 2020 is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't feel comfortable promoting a brand new public course. I know, you know, I know that the country just went into national pandemic emergency, but here's my course. Check it out. (laughs) (laughs) And so I decided to hold off on all that. And that was back in March or so. And so I decided to privately launch another round of beta invites to people who had kind of slowly, but surely kind of built yeah. up on the waiting page list. And I just wanted to test the waters to see like, are people still gonna be mm-hmm. interested in this during the middle of a pandemic? And to my surprise, I had another batch of people that I opened up a limited number of spots and they all sold out. And I'm like, okay, well maybe this is, there's something here. So and they're trying
0: it off for free or are they- you No, know, it,
1: it was a paid beta, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, the paid beta was $9.97 one-time payment or six okay. payments
0: of 199 And what is Shift Nudge in your own words?
1: Shift Nudge is, it's currently an interface design course to learn the visual side of interface design. Whether you're starting out or you're kind of mid-level and you want to get to that next mm-hmm. senior type level, or maybe you are a bit of a senior, but you haven't been designing as much and you've gotten a little rusty and you want to kind of polish off your skills specifically with like typography, layout, color, style, imagery, things like that. Definitely through the lens of user experience and making mm-hmm. a good product, but really, really focusing on line height and kerning and font selection and things like that. Those little tiny details that really make
0: design come alive. Things that took you 15 plus years to get. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> I you can watch it on course. In the future, I would love to To this, was kind of my plan even before I released Shift Nudge was to create because I've always been Studio MDS. That's like my company name. It's my initial. I both kind of love it and hate it because it's like, it's just me. Like, I don't, I always kind of struggled between should this be like a big brand or should it be like a personal brand? Yeah. And that was a big struggle for me early on. And then I realized just way more comfortable for me to just be me. And, MDS, somehow I got lucky and got those handles on social media. Oh my God. <laughs> and so I was just like, well, it's the name of my company, but it's also me. And when people hire Studio MDS, quote unquote, they're actually hiring me. And so I just kind of went with it. But for the course stuff, of course people still associate the course with the person that is teaching and the person that's producing yeah. it. But I wanted to create some kind of family of like a new brand that the courses could live under. And so for me, I think Shift Nudge is going to be that new brand that right now it's an interface design course, but I think eventually I will put my other products underneath that umbrella and say, here's the Shift Nudge interface design course. Maybe here's the Shift Nudge product design course. Here's the Shift Nudge contrast color checker. Here's the Shift Nudge flow kit, kind of thing like that. So it'll take a while for me to get there, but I think that's kind of how I'm viewing that now. Like any design resource
0: would fall under that umbrella. I think I was doing some math in my head. I hope my math is good. My mom is going to be so mad if she <laughs> here's my, Our Indian son is not good at math. So assuming that you had probably about 100 people sign up for the private beta 997. So right there, you were talking about the math. It's close to 90,000, if I'm not mistaken, or, or 100,000. Yeah, absolutely you know depending on the work you're putting in do you have a realistic target in mind like what would the course would want to hit like uh, revenue wise like do you set targets or is it like let's just see where this goes
1: i mean i definitely will have just like oh it would be nice if i could you know early on i remember when i when i got ready to do the beta i'm like okay i'm going to cap it at 100 spots number one i'm actually the beta students are actually they're in a Slack channel. They post homework and I give wow. a video review of every single design homework that gets posted. So I record a video I create for all 100 people, for every oh single person God. in the beta. So it's a lot of time also. Like it's you know, it's not just like, "Hey, here's the course, go have fun." Yeah. Right now during the beta, every single student that starts designing and posting yeah. their homework because every lesson has like a homework assignment and it's like Okay, now I want you to design this and really focus on font size. Here are the things I want you to think about. And wow! Then work. During the two beta phases, I've recorded probably over 500 student
0: yeah. videos. And, and how many it. lessons you got? So I mean, like for each lesson, you got a homework. So how
1: many lessons you got? There are eight modules in total, and every module has roughly 10 or so lessons. So 80 um, lessons. So 80 plus lessons. Not every single one has a homework assignment. Like. I might yeah. have to be getting started mod, uh, yeah. lesson, but there's at least 60 to 70. Oh my
0: God. So, for one student, if you count 50 lessons that they submit, you got to make 50 video reviews for one student. Oh my God. Yeah. So, how does that scale? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's scaling, you know, just working on it every day. That's how it's scaling. <laughs> um, oh my God. It's, it's tough. And that's a, a big reason why I haven't fully finished the entire course is because mm-hmm. I spent the first two or three weeks, every single day, just doing nothing but recording student critique videos. And so now um, I've am i gotten seven of the eight modules are completely recorded, close to 30 hours of edited yeah. content. And I've got these last 10 videos. I was actually really hoping to have these done by, <laughs> just, by our, uh, our. I kind of set a deadline. Okay, before this yeah. podcast, I'm gonna have these last 10 videos done. I've got everything pretty much prepped. and. It'll take me another week or so. I'm I think I'm gonna be able to go like with a public launch in like August or so. It feels weird to launch in July and I hope yeah that you know there's not if something is crazy happening in August, I might have to reevaluate what goes on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just um I know that I can't keep up the the way that I'm treating the beta students. I can't do that for the public version. So I'm yeah. gonna create a couple of different packages. And the thing that the beta students are getting right now is going to yeah. be three times more expensive when I launch it. Yeah, and I'll re- reduce the amount of people that I allow to
0: do that. And if nobody wants to do it, then fine, because <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> <of money. laughs> how many did you ever do like a cost analysis of like how much time you put into this in building the course and how much money of your own, like maybe equipment and all this stuff?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, okay. I have a general idea of. You know, I could go back and look at all my Amazon or B&H photo receipts, (laughs) camera equipment. But you know, like I've been working on this specific course for probably the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. I was actually planning on launching it last year at this time, but we were moving and we started renovating this house and we were bulging at the seams with all of our kids in our previous home. And... My wife and I were going to spend a lot of money and we we're getting a big construction loan and doing all this renovation. And I had this really big opportunity to come up with GoDaddy to work on one of their projects. And they basically wanted me to kind of take this project and run with it. And it was just something I couldn't pass up. And at the time, and it just took up so much of my time. And so I've had big projects like that that will pop up over the last year and a half or so that it's hard to say, like, okay, well, I spent. You know, 20 hours working on this outline of the curriculum or the course. And then I did this. Project. Yeah. Like, I feel like I would waste time and effort trying to figure out the numbers on every little detail. Yeah. And so now at this point, I'm just like, you know, thankfully my wife does, she's like, I call her my stay at home CFO. She does, yeah. <laughs> she does our cash flow forecasting. We've got this big spreadsheet for personal budget for our business. And she's got everything like, she set up my salary. So I get to pay the salary for my company and she d- is like the mastermind behind all well, that. I, I would absolutely not be able to do any of this. I need more pay, I need a pay raise. <laughs> yeah, my pay My, you know, the numbers actually, you know, if you think about like, oh, 100 people bought a $1,000 course, you know, taxes are a real big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, you know, go ahead and count 30% of that going to oh. the IRS. You know, it's not like you necessarily hit the lottery and you can just do whatever you want.
0: Oh, keep all of that OIC. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I mean there's tons of costs and things that go into it. So it's easy to like think about the numbers and think, oh man, yeah. Amazing. I wish I had (laughs) it's like actually, you know, this is I'd probably make more money right now if I was working for a startup somewhere, you know, with a full-time salary, you know, they're paying benefits, yeah. Benefits. So, like, you know, our health insurance for our family. Until we switched recently, like we were paying close to two thousand dollars a month for just helping family, and so there's twenty four thousand dollars right there. Yeah, it's crazy, and that doesn't even include you know the taxes that come out of the things that you make. And yeah, uh, it's quite challenging. You know, if you're filing as a sole proprietor or an LLC, you know, taxes at least for me in Georgia and the U.S. Like it's it's definitely a big ding that you have to account for. But I still think that at the end of the day, I can get to a place where we are doing better and we have more control. My salary, so to speak, will be distributed amongst, you know, hundreds of students, not necessarily one yeah. company, you know, that has to lay off, you know, thousand people
0: because there's a pandemic and nobody's using their service anymore. True. Before you decided to start filming the courses for Shift Nudge and go ahead with it, did you actually put up some kind of landing page or beta test that, hey, if I go ahead with this idea, how many people are going to buy it? I've had an email list building and growing slowly for the last
1: five or six years, whether it's people downloading free files or whatever, or signing up for a free course. And so I actually sent out some, uh, like a questionnaire, like a type form thing. And I just said like, here's like three or four courses that I'm thinking about producing. Would you mind responding to this? Let me know what you're most excited about. And the interface design course was the majority vote. It was probably 35 to 40% of people's vote followed by like a close second was like a product design course like in the beginning to end like full product but mm-hmm. more people were interested in like the tiny yeah. details of interface so I was like okay well I'll do that one first and, and then, how many people voted like I think I might number? have had, like I'd have to check I can't remember if it was like more than 100 or yeah, less than two, that 250 to 500 wow, along okay. in that range I think I sent the email to about 10,000 12,000 people wow and then I also had the question there like would you buy this course? Or, and I might, even I don't remember, I can't remember if I put a price on the questionnaire, but I definitely did a little bit of, you know, research before I just dove in because I have dove in plenty of time <laughs> at first <laughs> and swam deeply without taking a big breath. Yeah. And so you will learn very, very quickly. And research can be such a daunting task or word or thought process. Yeah. It's really just asking someone a question. It's like, hey, would you rather eat a hamburger or would you <laughs> have a piece of chicken? It's like, oh, okay. Well, well, it- <laughs> I'm not gonna spend all my time making chicken if you want a hamburger.
0: What if I'm not a Twitter celebrity like you and don't have 20,000 followers or even that big of a mailing list? Honestly,
1: it's a good question. But you know what? When I signed up for Twitter, I had zero followers. When I started my email list, I had zero <laughs> subscribers. And so the only way I ever, you know, it still feels weird because, you know, I don't feel any different right now than I did when I had 100 followers. But every time I have launched a product or yeah. I have done something "quote unquote" cool online, that is typically what you know boosts your follower count. And so, if I can focus, as I have focused more on providing value, mm-hmm. you kind of intrinsically see that return from the general public. Wow. And so, when I released back in 2014 or 2000. 2013, for example, I designed the little like float label input field thing just because I was, yeah, I had given myself this constraint and I really wanted to make this cool animation. And then all of a sudden, in a span of a couple of weeks, Brad Frost and Chris Coyier from CSS Tricks and all these people are blogging about the float label thing and it kind of like blew up. And that was the first time I had like a big wave of attention, I guess. And so then I created these like wireframing kits and I gave them away for free in exchange for an email and people found them valuable. So they got on my email list and just slowly, but surely you were talking earlier about, you know, oh, 10 years ago to now, Oh, you're ripped. Yeah. <laughs> that first push up, stop. <laughs> you know, I couldn't do any pull-ups. When I was uh, in 2010, I could not do a pull-up. And so now, you know, I'm like, now I'm hanging 60 pounds from my waist and doing pull-ups. Wow. It takes a while to get there. You have to remember that there are. My dad used to always say, like, oh, you got to pay your dues. You got to pay your dues. Cause I would have like crappy jobs and working in the sun and doing manual labor. I kept just like got tired of hearing that. But the more I think back on it, it's really just a matter of getting to work, putting in the reps and making sure you're
0: going in the right direction. Man, I'm just a huge fan of your growth mindset. In one of your articles, I was reading that you're taking one of your sons to drop him off to school, and he wanted to try this new hairstyle, and then he was nervous about the hairstyle, like how people are going to judge him. What did you tell him in the car? Like, Did he keep the hairstyle, or what did you tell him about growth mindset in that
1: conversation? I remember writing that article, but I actually drawing a blank for what actually happened. I believe that, if I recall correctly, he messed it up and put it back yeah. on before he went in.
0: and He was I, worried about people judging him.
1: Yeah. And I didn't want to make him feel bad for that, but I also wanted him to, you know, I, I'm always telling my kids, a, a good example is right now, my six-year-old cannot unbuckle his helmet. His fingers are not strong enough to like unbuckle the yeah. like, the bike helmet. And I'm like, buddy, you can do this. All you got to do is keep squeezing, like keep trying. Like it's not, <laughs> you can't do it. It's you can't do it right now. You can't do it yeah. yet. Like just keep practicing. Same thing with like the seatbelt. Like, I can't, my fingers are too small to push the <laughs> seatbelt buckle. Like I can't get it off. And so I don't know. I'm just, I'm constantly trying to, you know, give my kids and teach them this perspective. Like you can do whatever you want to do. The same way that I learned that I could rip the dash out of my Mazda and put it back in with a brand new CD player. Mm-hmm. Like they can rip the dashboard out of life and put it back together <laughs> however they want. And I just, if anything else, I want them to know that there is a, you know, they can carve their own path and they don't have to do things the way the world tells them to do it. So I think that whatever I told my son about his hairstyle was probably something along those lines, but most, yeah. they don't it. a lot of times I didn't want to hear what my dad said. So I'm hoping, you know, when they get to those crossroads in life later yeah. on, they can remember like, oh yeah, I remember my
0: dad used to say that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I want to shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Walk me through your process when you're actually designing a module for shift nudge all the way from, do you start with uh, conceptualizing the storyboard or what you're going to say to recording? How does that one module go? So I have taken lots
1: of different approaches to this. And I first started just having a general idea about what I wanted to cover in the video. And then I would just hit record. And then I would make this long, boring 45 minute to an hour long video. And then I would spend eight hours editing it down into a watchable 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And then I'm like, okay, that is a bad approach. And so now I do a little bit of some videos I will highly script, but it's difficult to script an actual like design video where you're moving shapes around. And so I, I kind of take this hybrid approach now where once I've got the full course outline, uh, first I get the outline for everything and then individual lessons, I developed this little bit of a framework that kind of helps me. So for every lesson, I make sure that I cover why and then what and then how and then I assign homework. And so if I'm following this, like why, what, how, homework, my intro is usually like why it's important and then what it is. Show some examples. And then I can dive into the how and usually the more prep work I can do, probably similar for your podcast interviews. The more prep work you can do, the better yeah. the result's going to be. If you just kind of go into it blindly, you're like, oh my gosh, like it, it's a little bit more of a. Time. I was
0: like, I do not want to wing it. Absolutely not. Some people yeah. do it. I'm like, no. <laughs> and I think there is something to
1: be said for free form conversation or free form videos. And I try to leave room for that in my video, my lesson videos, because sometimes you do have an epiphany in the middle of explaining something. And I take a break from the screen and I look directly at the camera and I'm like, oh, and here's something you definitely don't want to forget. And then I have this three minute diatribe of something really profound. And I'm like, yes. And so I like to leave a little bit of room when the spirit strikes to let that come out. (laughs) So I will typically I'll have a a somewhat scripted intro and I'll have all Mm -hmm. of my tabs pulled up. Sometimes I design things ahead of time and then I'll redesign on the video. Sometimes. You know, I'll just design them live and then I'll try to just make it. I'm still experimenting, honestly, with the best technique. I like the blooper wheels personally.
0: Yeah. uh, When your wife interrupted you or your kids are coming in. You you just made it personable.
1: We're all at home recording stuff from home. And I had to basically set up my kids in two separate rooms with a movie on. I'm like, I'm about to be real on a podcast. I need you to stay in there. Do not come out. Just watch this show. I mean it's like <laughs> literally at any moment they could bust through the door but I think I've got it under control right now I'm like I can't come out and tell you to be quiet because I'm recording right now <laughs> oh my god
0: man I gotta be honest man like hearing you just talking with you is like therapy like I want to someday launch my own course I haven't thought too much but one thing like I was like asking myself like Janil what is it that you're good at um I don't think I'm nowhere near the level of a, a designer that you are to be honest but one thing I think I feel confident about is networking or getting access to people that are hard to read. So just how to network with people and you how they can you, translate to jobs. You could do a masterclass on how to cold email someone. <laughs> <laughs> Your
1: email to me was amazing. Like, I mean, it hit all the points. It was like
0: short and sweet and it was great. I think not a lot of people know how to do that. Well, thanks, man. Uh, I thought actually the same lines of doing that. And then, but then I was like, well, Matt has got all like, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I thought about like, I saw all your gear. I'm like, man, I don't even have like shit like that. I don't even have a like a 4k camera. I don't have all that. So then part of my brain was just going into that. Like, should I get that kind of gear? Or who am I to be doing this kind of course if I don't have a gear like him? So it was just kind of like that whole, uh, maybe oh, I don't uh, know if you have some kind of device. I have
1: been in that hole many times. And I'm still in a lot of ways. Like, I think the number one thing that will stop you from doing something like that is going to be your own thoughts and your own negative and like, oh, this is stupid. Nobody's going to watch this. Everybody knows how to letter space typography, you know, like everybody knows line height. I mean, come on. What am I even teaching here? Yeah. And so the longer you ruminate on whether or not you should do it or not, the more likely you're going to talk yourself out of it. And another reason why was I have done a paid course before where I did the beta version for free and got feedback. And then I launched the public version and it was okay. I mean, it did okay. This is like back in 2015, but I wanted to know quickly, are people going to pay for this or not? A lot of people will tell you like, oh yeah, put up a landing page and try to sell it right away. So, and you could definitely do that. I'm a little bit scared to do that because I don't want to pre selling things that don't exist. And it almost feels like ingenuine to me personally. I don't think it's a bad practice necessarily fundamentally, but for me, I like to have something tangible to offer. Yeah. Even if it's like the first three videos, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so I do know like the quicker the rubber can hit the road, the better. Yeah. Once you start talking to someone who's trying to learn about the thing you're trying to teach them all of a sudden camera gear doesn't matter. Lights don't matter. Right. It's just how can I teach you how to get from point A to point B as quickly and safely as possible? And, you know, if you're well lit, great. If you're not, I don't care. Just teach me how to, you know. <laughs> I mean, even now, I still struggle with that. I'm like, man, the Sony ZV-1 looks amazing. I, I need to get that. I have a great 4K camera already, but I'm still yeah. like, I need to get that ZV-1. Like, oh, I got a road... Procaster, I should probably get the sure SMB, whatever. I need the new aperture 300D. It's way brighter. You know, it's like that will never stop. And I have to remind myself, I'm the type of person that can easily fiddle with camera settings and lights and cables for like a day before I record a video. Yeah. And then I'm just like, what the heck did I even do? I like, I just fiddled with technology all day long, hardware tweaking settings. And then once you finally just kind of commit, like, okay, you know what? screw it, we're we're hitting record, yeah. and we're getting it done. So it's easy for me to try to get everything perfect. I think, you know, what you're saying too, I mean, that's exactly the same thought process that I had for every single course that I've ever produced. And, but quite honestly, the first course I made back in 2014 or 2015, it was called AI UX. And I was teaching mm-hmm. systematic UX design for the responsive web with Adobe Illustrator. Like the most random, okay. like very niche <laughs> course. And I used my max webcam, no extra lighting. It was basically the camera was pointing straight up my nostrils. <coughs> and I had a $150 microphone set up, which is actually a pretty good mic looking back. Yeah. No mixer, no preamp. It was just plugged straight into my computer. I bought a microphone and a stand for like hundred, 200 bucks and just recorded the course with screen flow. That's the only software I used. Yeah. And, uh, When I launched it, that course made $30,000 like in a month. Holy shit. That I did not sustain that. That was almost like a one hit wonder. I tried to launch it again. It was like a little bit less. And then of course, Sketch became incredibly popular right after I launched that. And I'm like, okay, I need to figure out a way not to make my courses tied directly to software that gets changed like every five seconds. That's another big thing that I tried to focus on with Shift Nudge too. It's like software Mm -hmm. agnostic. I do advocate for people using Figma if they haven't used, if they haven't mm-hmm. made a but I'm also using like framer files, sketch files, and I'm teaching things in a way that's more design focused, not design tool focused.
0: Damn, man. You just like help me get rid of some of the self-doubt just listening to you do that. You also made a free course with Envision yeah. on the yeah. Switch to Studio. I always wondered, uh, cause you know, you worked with Stefan Olmsted, he was my first guest and I released that episode. Why did you do that for free? You mean, you could have uh, made it a paid course. And and how did that come about? I can answer this so quickly for you because they paid me to do it. Okay.
1: They have a design forward fund. Yes. And this was like right as Studio was launching and it was like tons of hype. And I was super excited about the idea of Envision Studio. And I was like, man, I want to do this. So I pitched, I actually signed up on the website and kind of pitched doing a course for them through their form on their website. And then it was only after they started considering it when Steven actually pulled some strings for me internally to kind of get it approved. But I basically just came up with a proposal and I said, you know, it would cost this much money for me to do this type of course, this many lessons. And there was a lot of back and forth. They were thinking about scaling it way down. And then they were like, you know what, you know, we're going to go for it. We'll do this. So that was the whole idea was that they were going to set aside a small budget for me personally and they'll just pay me to produce this and the value for both of us on the back end would be whoever wants to download these files that I'm working through will just, you know, we'll collect emails and the emails will go wow. to envision and for me. So that's kind of the the gist of that particular course. I think when I'm thinking about courses now, I've got another free course, Intro to Icons and I really made it specifically as a lead generator, you know, like, I want you to I want to provide an immense amount of value in yeah. for you getting on my email list. So that later, if I have something premium that I think is valuable, yeah. I can let you know about it. And so that's kind of the idea with some of the smaller stuff. I do think that both the studio course and the intro to icons course could very easily be a paid course and probably do pretty decently. But they are also like smaller topics. And another like quote from Actually, I don't know if this was him or not. This was definitely somebody different. I can't remember who said it, but it was something along the lines of, it's going to take you the same amount of time and effort to market a $29 product as it will a $2,900 product. The same Damn. time and energy is going to go into pushing it to market, talking about wow. it, promoting it. And so, you know, FlowKit, when I first launched FlowKit, it was $29. And yeah. we definitely kind of like, let me just see. It was a total, like, I almost didn't even make a website for it. I was just going to put it up on Gumroad or something and mm-hmm. just link to that directly. And I spent a ton of time, you know, working on the website and, you know, and within a week or two, like Shift Nudge just blew FlowKit out of the water in terms of, you yeah. know, just revenue. And, and it's true. Like, so, and it kind of goes back to that. Do you want to spend six months building a 99 cent iOS app or a couple of weekends building, you know, $49 WordPress plugin? Yeah. And again, as someone who's like hyper aware of needing income, I'm going to have to find those places that provide that more immediate return. I'm just thinking about all the
0: dope advice you've given me so far. To your point, you know, you said, yeah, I could put up a beta landing page, like sign up for this course and pre sell it. I think for me, apart from the feeling of ingenuity, like, oh, I don't have anything ready, I also feel like there's a pressure then. Like, let's say yeah. I've got maybe hundred people that sign up. So now I've got to now actually go and produce. So that means that I don't get the creative freedom to work on it like the way you've done. Like you spent eight hours editing one episode. So maybe one thought I had was, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to push this course out. Whether other people like it or not? I just want to make it for myself and then to your point provide some value. Like why you should even give me your email. That's a
1: definitely a big reason. Like I don't want to pre-sell something and then feel like I'm under the gun. I mean, I kind of did half and half because there are people who have reached out to me, you know, at least half a dozen people. And they're like, hey, when are when are those like last modules coming? When are those last yeah. modules coming? And I'm like, I'm working on it, man. I'm sorry. You know, and so there is some pressure and I feel that, but I feel like, you know, there's got to be some kind of good balance because mm-hmm. the first course I did, I think if I would have really just started asking some questions. But again, I don't know, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, don't, I remember I was a part of this kind of a part of this mastermind group last year, and I was talking about Shift Nudge and how I released and they were like, well, how did you send out the question to your audience, like asking about, and I was like, oh, well, I gave them four options about these four different courses. And there was one guy that said, you know, oh, you shouldn't do that. You should like let the audience tell you what they want. Yeah. And um, I'm like, <sighs> I think that can be good advice, but everything is so contextual based on, you know, it's like, here are the four things that first of all, that I want to provide you as, as knowledge and things that I can feel confident. Mm-hmm. If I'm teaching you the skills, the tactical skills that I've been using on a daily basis for the last 15 years, I don't need you to tell me, you know, oh, I don't want to learn UI design. I want to learn, you know, only prototyping. I can guarantee you like prototyping is not going to help you if you don't know all this other stuff. And so I think there's a fine line between, you know, like college students don't tell the professor what they want to learn. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they and, yeah. And I'm not trying to also not trying to be like snarky or anything. Yeah. I think there is value in saying like, Hey, if I could teach anything, what would it be? And, and if somebody said, Oh, video editing, I might, maybe I should do a course on video editing. But at the end of the day, I think if you feel strongly about it and it's kind of, I would recommend <laughs> don't spend a year on it <laughs> before, you, before you try to make money on it, but um, put something together in six weeks, even a landing page. I did put up a landing page with an email collection. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, I'm going to be working on this if you want to get notified when I launch. it's uh-huh. another good way you know, to see if people are interested. But I, I will say like, there is so much pressure. I remember like trembling when I'm like going to hit the publisher <laughs> for the morning of the launch for the beta. I'm like, you almost don't want to come to face with that reality. You don't want to know if it's going to fail. You kind of want this. Oh yeah, that would, this would be, yeah. cool. <laughs> it's more fun to like, imagine what you would do if you won the lottery versus like putting something out there and putting your name and your rip- yeah. line and then asking people to pay a thousand dollars for it. <laughs> And it's like, gosh, I don't, am I going to get dragged on the internet? Like, are people going to, yeah. like, so, I mean, it's just, it's a very emotional experience. And the more you delay it, the worse it gets. And I've definitely learned that the hard way. And so now I'm going to, like, I will launch this public version of Shift Nudge with extreme confidence because I have had paying customers that are giving mm-hmm. real feedback. It's not like a free user that's just like, oh, maybe you could do this. It's like, no, these people are invested in this project and I'm invested in them. And I am 100% committed to providing like absolute quality material, quality feedback, because I want them to produce quality designs. And so now, you know, I've tested the majority of all of this content and I've seen their designs improve and they've told me like, this is the best course I've ever taken. Oh my gosh. There's still those of doubt. I mean, even now I'm like, I can still feel the anxiety rising up a little bit. But if I remind myself, you know what, in December, you sold out. In March, you sold out. You've gotten, there's been one person, one person that was specifically like, the content's not as good as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, this is a little bit different. So I don't mind, uh, you know, giving a refund if it's not going to help you out. Like I want to provide value. And if you're not getting value, then no problem. Like here's your money back. But anytime those anxieties, kind of start coming up, I'm just reminding myself, like, people bought this, and people are telling you that it's valuable, and they enjoy it. And lots of, you know, several of them, there's been people that said, like, I learned more in two weeks than I have in the last like two months trying to do this on my own, or or the last year doing this on my own. And so I'm like, okay, this is a big confidence booster. And this will, you know, totally help me push this to the finish line.
0: Matt, oh my god, dude, you are really godsend. Just talking with you has given me so much inspiration. And thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. It means a lot to me that I was able to get a guest like you to come on the show. Man, it's been awesome.
1: I knew I, I just kind of had this feeling, seriously, like from the when you reached out and you, you made a video, like, here's a three minute video on why you should be on the show. <laughs> like, it was great. And just, I don't know, you just kind of have a gut feeling sometimes and you got to go for it. How can people find you or find more about your course? They can go to shiftnudge.com or they can go to mds.is. Thank you so much, Matt. My
0: pleasure. If you made it this far, you are what I call a Design MBA superfan. And I've got a gift for you, my superfan. Head over to designmba.show where you will find my email address. Email me one thing you learned from this podcast episode. And I will get on a 30-minute call with you and help you in your career goals. See you in the next episode.